Eric had been sick for a couple of weeks, and uh, Allison came back off her cruise with COVID. It was her third bout. So anybody here, have you had COVID twice? Do not go on vacation. You'll get it the third time. I know because when we went to Israel, I'd had it twice up to that point in time. When I came back, I had COVID. That was uh, a little over a year ago, so I'm safe to be around. Well, the portion of Scripture, and I, I don't know why it never occurred to me. Maybe you've heard it preached before. I don't know. But in Matthew chapter 6, in the portion of Scripture that we've been reading, that the Bible and the Holy Spirit of God are juxtaposing perishable to that which is durable. We spend an entire lifetime working for things that are perishable when we should be working a lifetime for things that are durable. Amen? So we'll see that all played out here in a minute. Our key verse from Matthew chapter 6 is verse 20. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now, when we look around this old fallen world I am so glad, yea, I'm excited that what lies in eternity for the redeemed of the Lord is going to be worth it all uh, we sing is that, is, is, that the, is that the song that uh, it will be worth it all that says with eternity's values in view well one of those two songs we're going to sing in closing so get your thing going over there So Steve knows everything <laughs> So anyway, as, as, and, uh, as much as we know, or at the very least, acknowledge this, we still seem to have a fixation with this world and its material values. While it is easier to understand why the lost have this fixation with wealth and with fame and with power, and live as this world and this life is all that there is. Folks, this life, we're just passing through. We're on a journey. From the day that you and I were conceived, we're on a journey, and that journey, if you come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ, is heaven. If not, we know what the alternative is. It's a place called hell. Now, the old bumper sticker, and some of you may be too young to remember this, but the old bumper sticker that said, the man who dies with the most toys wins. Well, I don't know how they figure on that because you can't take anything with you. Job said, naked came I into this world, and naked I'm going to leave it. And I don't know of anybody, I go back into thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human history, and you go into the pyramids and into the sphinxes and all those other places, and guess what they find in there? All that gold and all that silver and all those precious things that are still there. So we know historically that you can't take it with you. But there are some things that you can send before you. Things that are durable. Not things that are perishable. So, the individual who says, the man who dies with the most toys wins, will find out too late. It was a wasted life because the wrong place in eternity is just that. Hell is eternal and it is a wasted life. One does not end up in hell because they wasted their life as far too many Christians are wasting his or her life in not preparing for eternity. Now, to assume that coming to know Christ as one Savior has prepared you for eternity, no, that's getting you into eternity with Christ. 
the preparation is how we live our Christian lives for eternity. So the values of eternity are vastly different than the values of this temporal world. And we can rest assured that worldly values will not carry the day in eternity. Whatever worldly treasures we may amass here will, in the day that we die, remain here. As I said, Job stated it best in 121, Job 121. And it says, And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The reality is this this morning, that there is nothing durable about anything that we may deem valuable or as an earthly treasure. They will all one day perish, as will we physically. And if we spend our days slavishly working for all that is temporal, then we will be like the rich man in Luke chapter 12 and verse 20, where he had built his barns because he had been, well, he had been so prosperous in his harvest that he said he didn't know what he was going to do, so he tore down the old barns, built new and bigger barns. And he said, and this I will do. I will fill them, and I will sit back. I will take my eat, I will eat, drink, and, and, and be merry for the remainder of my lifetime. And this is what Jesus answered, and, and, and uh, he said, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who, who shall those things be which thou hast provided? There is one thing that we know of that we can work slavishly for material things when we die. We're going to be leaving them to some of the, to the government uh, who doesn't know how to handle it anyway. And we're going to be leaving it to relatives. Well, if they're godly relatives and they know they're in church and they, they, they'd use the money wisely and they'd use it in God's direction, that'd be wonderful. But if you want to leave it to children who are very worldly and very carnal, well, you really kind of wasted your money because it's going to throw it down the tube somewhere along the way. And so, Jesus says in verse 21, from Luke chapter 12, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And so I'd ask you the question this morning, are you rich toward God? And if you're not sure how to answer that, you might ask yourself, what constitutes being rich toward God? Well, to be honest with you, God doesn't need mansions here. God doesn't need to have piles and piles and piles of money. He owns the gold and the silver and all the mines and the cattle on the thousand hills anyway. So what is important to God should be important to us. And that should be an integral part of our Christian lives as we live them. So our first point right after the prayer this morning is our focus is eternally important. Father, we pray that you guide and direct as we look to the message, Durable Treasures. And Lord, the flesh, it has its own ideas of what is what is a treasure. And Lord, deep in our soul of the believer, we also know that, Lord, you have a different definition of, of what treasures are. For we know that in these in these vessels, there are, there are, there are treasures in our earthen vessels. Things that have been put there since we've been saved. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, truth, direction. All the things that are a part of the Christian life and given to us through the scriptures. Lord, these are durable. Lord, they're vital and they're important to how we conduct ourselves in this life as the children of the Lord. So, Lord, you guide and direct to bring about your desire, whether it's to salvation or to rededication. Lord, whether it's to the folks at home or the folks here in the sanctuary, Lord, we just pray that you'll meet all the needs that are represented here today. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will your heart uh, be also. You know, 
uh, I had just met my wife, 1962. Uh, her family had moved out of northeast Philadelphia, moved up, and, and uh, it wasn't by happenstance that they came to the church that we were attending. God directed her because he knew that this bonehead was going to need a, need a very smart woman to be a part of his life. And uh, we met in, in, in the uh, youth groups that were there, and, and uh, eventually we became an item. And uh, a couple years later, we got married. But the time that we had met in 62, I had joined the Air Force in 1963. So when I got sent off to Lackland, Texas, guess where my heart was? It wasn't in Lackland. It was back in Levittown, Pennsylvania. That's where my heart was. That's where the desire of my heart was, back there. And so, as individuals, though we have never been to heaven, God's heartbeat should be our heartbeat. The things that God's passionate about are the things that we should be passionate about. The things that God loves are the things that we should love. The desires of God should be our desires as well. And so we can be as dismissive as we want about where God and his word fit into our earthly agendas. But we better be paying attention to the word of God because God doesn't simply throw out words just to fill up the pages. You remember when you used to write book reports in school? How many of you can remember back that far? Uh, and and, and you, you would get as, as, as verbose as you could. Try to put in what we call fillers or puffing the report by putting in a lot of things that were... No, kind of irrelevant. And we somehow thought we were smarter than the teachers. We weren't. And we have to realize that we're not smarter than God by any stretch of the imagination. But every word of God is God placed in the Bible. Hey, amen? Every word in the Bible is God placed because he doesn't want us to be ignorant of what lies before us in this life and in eternity. For the foolish who believe that Satan's lies that a loving God would never send anyone to a place like hell. Either he is a God of his word or he is a liar. I have never in my many years of salvation ever found God to lie to me. Never, ever. Oh, I've lied to him a few times. At least I thought it was. He knew. But a liar, God is not. Now, Satan is a liar and he is a father of lies and, and the smart folks uh, reject Satan's lies and embrace God's word uh, as the absolute truth. When we compare John chapter 14 to verse, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, either he lied to us or he was telling the truth. I believe he's telling the truth. I would stake my eternal destiny on the fact that he was telling the truth. But you look at John chapter 8 and verse 44, and he said that he was talking to the religious leaders. He says, you cannot understand my words because ye are of your father, the devil, who is a liar and he's a murderer, and he was so from the beginning. So for the redeemed of the Lord, once we come to a saving faith in Christ, the character of our eternity with him will depend on how we choose to live for him and the priority we place on preparing for that eternity. Now, what is the function? What is the purpose of you and I sending our children to 12 years of school? And then if we can afford it, or nowadays if they can afford it, send them to college for another four years. What's the purpose? Just to get them out of the house? Well, that works. 
But ultimately, the goal is so that you they are prepared for the world. Is that not right? We're preparing them so they can begin to take care of themselves, so they can go out into the world and make a living. Do you realize that as a redeemed of the Lord, we have the Word of God that is a book that prepares us for the world around us, is a process of preparing us for eternity with Him. Because to your chagrin, it's not about floating on a cloud with a golden harp and being able to sing Amazing Grace perfectly. So, I'm looking forward to that day when I can sing it perfectly. But the truth of the matter is, in eternity, God has a plan and a purpose, not only from the day that we were saved, but all the way through all of eternity. There are things, if you know your Bible, that God has planned for you and I there, based on how we function here as the children of God. And so, this certainly is the point that Jesus is making in the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in verses 19 through 21 of Matthew 6. If you are married, you are in a what? Binding relationship with your spouse. Now, how important is your spouse's attitude towards you and the marriage? How important is it? Well, I, I, I try to give at least six months of premarital counseling, and I try to help these individuals know what marriage is really all about, what should be functioning, what should be taking place from a biblical perspective in marriage. And one of those things is to be able to learn how to get along with each other. We do a section on communication. Learning how to talk with each other, how to talk about circumstances, how to pray together, how to read and have, have devotions together. And the purpose is so that we can get the mind of the Lord. And, and I thank God for my wife and her devotion to the Lord. Her devotion to the Lord is greater than her devotion to me, which makes her devotion to me better than it could be without the Lord in her life and vice versa. So I thank God every day. When I see her reading her Bible and having a devotion, she's got her notebook out. She has two types of, I guess you, I guess you might call them warm-ups. <laughs> she has a, uh, uh, not a daily bread, the Bible pathway. She has that one that she gets started with. And then she has her regular Bible reading schedule. Then she has her prayer journal. And she has all these things that she works together. And you know, it's very comforting when you as a husband see your wife actively involved in developing and building that relationship between herself and the Lord. And when she can come downstairs uh, into the basement where I got my study downstairs, it's encouraging for her to see me reading my Bible and studying my Bible and preparing messages and preparing sermons along the way. And, uh, and whatever studies I had to be involved in, uh, in, in, in the schooling and so on there as well. And so but it's encouraging it to her. And she would say to me sometimes, she said, I love the fact that you love the Lord. And I'm thankful that you love the Lord more than you love me because it has enabled you to love me with an even greater love. Because I knew what the marriage was somewhat like when as a Christian I was backslidden and I was away from the Lord. I loved my wife, I just didn't love the Lord. And so the failure on my part to love the Lord was also a diminishing of my love for her. And so do you want your spouse to be all in on the marriage? Well, honey, I'd like to take you out tonight, but i got another girl at work I want to take out for a dinner date tonight. Do you mind? Uh, you might find the locks changed when you get back. If not, somewhere there's going to be a rolling pin in the middle of the night. Clonk. Somewhere. Well, just be careful that you have all bottled beverages that are sealed up. <laughs> but to treasure what you have together above all other relationships 
Well, yeah, of course, preacher. I, I want my wife to be all in. And the wife said, yeah, I want my husband to be all in. But you know, if you're unequal yoke together, that never happens. If a woman marries an unsaved man, he can, he can be into the wedding, but he can't be all in on, on the fullness because here's a, here's a saved wife who is, who is a body, soul, and a spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15, it said, The natural man, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Lord for they are, they are foolishness unto him. And then it moves down further, but, but uh, uh, we are spiritual in that we have the mind of Christ. And so you get two people operating on, 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 two, on two different platforms. You have one who is operating on worldly wisdom and worldly knowledge, and someone else who is operating, should be operating, on, on godly wisdom and godly knowledge, although they blew it when they married an unsaved person to begin with. As far as I think, they blew their salvation, but they, they blew that, uh, that uh, ability to be able to come together, to pray together, and to come to church together, and to fellowship together, and to worship together, and, and, and to listen, and, and to... Uh, uh, praying to all the things that godly couples do together. So when it comes to our relationship with Christ, the question is, are, are, are we all in or only in it for what we can get out of it? Do you see Christ as some form of a sugar daddy that uh, he's going to provide all your wants? Uh, it doesn't say anything about wants. But Paul, through the Holy Spirit, said that my, my God should supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So when you have a need, God will meet that need. But if it's just a want, because you want this kind of car, you want this kind of house, or you want this kind of job, or you want this kind of whatever it is, then God may have a different idea in mind. Amen? Boy, you get so quiet when you talk about these things. So anyway, it, it's, it's pretty easy to see that Jesus is all in. Amen? Even if you, I mean, you're glad you're saved, you're glad you've got a home in heaven, and, and, but you're still not all the way in. By not being all in, I mean, you're not really taking the word of God fully seriously. You kind of—it's like a smorgasbord. You go through and you pick a little of this, you pick a little bit of that, and you, ah, I don't think I like that, and I don't care for this here. Oh, this looks good, and this looks good. So, folks, that's not all being—that's not being all in. Being all in is saying, boy, that looks like that's going to be a tough one. That's all. Oh, that's going to be a hard thing to get to get control of in my life. But you know what? I'm all in. I'm going to do this. You can't help a drug addict. I don't care whether it's nicotine or whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs. You cannot help them if they're not all in. It's ridiculous. I had my, my son-in-law uh, pastoring in North Carolina. Uh, he called me one day. He said, he said, he said, Dad, he said, I got a problem. He said, I've got a couple that I'm counseling with here. And he said, I, I give them homework, and, and they come to the next session. And, well, we didn't have time to do this. We didn't have time to do that. One thing or another. And he said, what am I going to do? And I said, you know what? Stop it. Stop counseling. I said, if they're not going to realize that, that they need to be all in and do the homework that you give them to help them bring a better marriage together or to make their marriage really work, I said, why would you give up your time with your wife and with your children when you could be home with them to someone who doesn't care? I mean, folks, it's not rocket science. You can't, you can't teach the unteachable. And so we need to come to that place in our lives where we stop trying to teach the unteachable. So Jesus is all in. He gave his life. He shed his blood so that we could have an eternal relationship with him and, and our Heavenly Father. I mean, he gave his all. It's kind of like the pig and the chicken they were talking one day. And the chicken was talking about, he overheard the farmer say they're going to have ham, ham and eggs for breakfast. And the chicken was all excited. And the pig says, yeah, you would be. All you give is an egg. I have to give my life. And that's true. I mean, Christ gave his all. 
Why can't we give our all? You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a, a missionary on a foreign field to give your all. Listen, just being a godly husband and being a godly father and the process of it and raising your children and de- developing your home and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's part of giving all. Giving out a tract here and there and talking when God opens the doors of opportunity, sharing the gospel with others, that's giving your all. So it's, it's, it's a number of things that we can do. Praying without ceasing. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. So there are things that we can do that we can be all in on. If you're just, if you're just giving a casual reading of your Bible and you're not studying and meditating in your Bible, you're not all in. Well, you are eternally saved. You're just not all in. And so he gave his all. And when he was on the cross, he was focused on you and me. He saw several thousand years down the road when Jim Gangler at the age of 13 would come to know Christ as his own personal Lord and Savior. And he saw everything in between. And he, he died for me. And he died for you. And he died for anyone else out there who wants, to, who wants to spend eternity with him. They can come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So have you come to a saving faith in Christ? What will you give to this relationship once you do come to a saving faith in Christ? Will it be, will it in the end, be a wasted life spent on temporal treasures of a life that I believe is best expressed by the Apostle Paul? For me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. Think of the words, for me to live. I get up in the morning for the Lord. I walk through my day for the Lord. I work hard at work. I work for the Lord. When I play, I play for the Lord. When I sleep, I sleep for the Lord. So I wake up the next morning rested and ready to live for the Lord again. Amen. You know, a lot of Christians don't have that. Well, that's for the preacher. The preacher needs to live for the Lord. And that's for the missionary on the farm. They need to live for the Lord. No. It's not just for the preacher. Not just for the missionary. It's for every redeemed, blood-washed individual to live for the Lord. And you have to know the Apostle Paul didn't believe that always. I mean, he was serving God by being a, a zealous religious Jew until he met Christ on the Damascus Road. And a wonderful conversion took place. And all of a sudden, Paul now becomes, uh, Saul of Tarsus now becomes the Apostle Paul. And he writes this thing, for me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. And so, that is being all in and Jesus is his treasure. This guy, Paul, is so excited about his heavenly relationship that he states in Philippians, uh, let's turn to Philippians chapter 22. And Philippians chapter 2, I'll get there. Uh, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 22 through 24. And he says, But I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I would not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a what? Desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. How many of us would not rather be at home with the Lord now today than to be here. 
Amen. I'd rather be there any day. Some may get there earlier. Some may have opportunity. The Apostle Paul saw the Lord before he died. Others have down throughout history, I'm sure. And so we come to this place here where he says, uh, um, for, I, for I am in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He realized that as much as he wanted to go home and he wanted to be with the Lord who died for him, he gave his life for him, shed his blood for him, and called him to the ministry. He wanted me home with him. He said, it's more needful that I'm here because this is where God can use me the most right now. How much do you love the Lord? Are you hanging on to those earthly treasures here, scared to death that somehow the rapture might occur and you're going to miss out on all these temporal things here? Well, as we get ready to close here very quickly here, what we treasure is eternally important. What we focus on is eternally important and what we treasure. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Very simple verse there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I'm in chapter 5 here, so that's not going to work. So, um, uh, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? And all these things shall be unto you. Seek ye first. The most important focus in your life is on the kingdom of God. Not just up there. Because if you're saved, you're part of his kingdom here now. And so a few verses earlier, we learned that God has a better handle on what we need to survive in this side of eternity uh, than we do. And he talks here about how the lilies are clothed and how the birds uh, don't have to forge for their, you know, God's provided for, the, you know, I know that people get upset when they have bird feeders out there and the bird feeders go empty. And, oh my goodness, the birds are going to starve to death. You have a feeder out there and they don't get the food and they let it go away. Listen, that's silly. Those birds know where everything is that they want to eat. And if they can't have your seeds, they'll find a worm because worms don't know any better. They just down on the ground. But you can read that in there, uh, verses 25 through 32. But God will supply the health we need to work for life's necessities. God will provide for the opportunity to provide for ourselves and for our families. However, his goal is not that we become so preoccupied with this task that we don't have time for him or to serve him. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, and then he said, I go meet needs. In fact, I found out that God has met needs I didn't even know I had until he met them. <laughs> Amen. Uh, listen, we came here back in 79, $75 a week. But you try to live on $79, you can't even go grocery shopping and get a single bag of groceries without 100 bucks or, or more. But you know what? We came here trusting God, and God took care of us. I didn't get this way because God was neglecting me. And so we realized that all throughout, we, we may have had to pray about some things, but we were able to put our kids in a Christian school. God provided for our kids in a Christian school. And God provided kids in a Christian school. God also provided for us to be able to have our kids in, in Pensacola Christian College. See, God met needs that we didn't even know we were going to have. But they were there, and God just took care of them. And, and all through that, both the wife and I were very strengthened, very encouraged. 
So faith in God, trusting God is so important in this Christian life. So God doesn't want us to become so involved with satisfying our flesh and our fleshly desires to have and to have more than we need or things that we don't need just because we want to have them. One day this old world, if we don't die first, is going to burn and it won't be because of global warming. <laughs> I tell you what, if you're falling into global warming, folks, you're, you're absolute foolishness. Absolute. You know, it's like COVID. You had doctors and scientists on the one side who were right, others who were wrong on the other side. I won't get into that this morning, but now the ones who were really right are the ones everybody's admitting now was really right. And the science is now standing up for those who, who stood up against the Fauci's and, and, the, and, the, and the dictators of this world. Did people die? Yes. Any flu is dangerous to anybody who has comorbidities. And you do need to be careful. But global warming is a financial hoax. I do not want to be sitting in a car atop a bunch of batteries that could go <laughs> And they have gone or, or a Ford executive who drove a car up to Canada and drove it back there and he said, you know what, these things really aren't cracked up to be all that they're saying they're to be. <laughs> Listen, you know what, it's out there. The information is out there. We have to just stop being deaf and dumb and listening to those who have a buck to make or a fortune to make. You realize that during COVID, there were, I believe, six, maybe seven billionaires made through the pharmaceutical com companies. Whew. So anyway, Second Peter chapter 3. Let's turn it very quickly. You want to talk about global warming? <laughs> this is going to happen, but it's going to happen because God makes it happen. First Peter chapter 3. Now verse 9 is very important. I'm going to read verse 9 first. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then he says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works, and, and, and the works that uh, are therein shall be burned up. So it's going to be destroyed. Read the same thing in uh, Revelation chapter 21. What he says in response to the Holy Spirit asked this question, considering verse 9 and considering verse 10, he says this, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in conversation and godliness? Folks, you and I know this is coming. And we know that we have family members who are going to have to deal with this. We know that we have neighbors and co-workers and friends that are going to have to deal with this. And so we need to be praying hard. We need to be living more faithfully and seeking each and every opportunity that we can to be able to share the gospel that they might get saved. And so the Holy Spirit of God doesn't leave it there with the fact that there's going to be a day when it's, God renovates everything. 
but that it should at least determine the knowledge. You know, knowledge should determine who we are and what we are. The wrong knowledge will be the wrong kind of things that we become. But godly knowledge and godly wisdom, that comes from on high. We should be different. We should be different than the rest of the world around us. Not falling for all these hoaxes and all this foolishness, this nonsense. So the answer is the kind of believer whose focus is on eternity and ready and willing to use what God blesses us with for the advancement of the kingdom of God in the lives of the lost and the lives of the babes in Christ. There are missionaries who need our prayer and our financial support. There are Bibles to be printed and distributed along with tracts. There are pulpits to be filled and classes to be taught. Christian education to be chosen over public education. And so many things that will impact the character of eternity with Christ on our part. And so we are admonished to see what the Lord sees and the value of what is important to us and our relationship with him and him with us. I believe wholeheartedly that our focus is best realized when all that we treasure is not of this world, but how our lives impact eternity for Christ. Those are the things that become our treasures. People that we lead to the Lord. People that we have an opportunity to plant seeds and we see them come to know Christ. That's a treasure. Amen. Seeing missionaries, every dollar you give to missions goes directly to the missions. It goes to the missionaries. Every dollar. And that which goes to them out there, souls are getting saved. Several of our missionaries have built orphanages. Several of our missionaries have built colleges. And they're training, tra- training up men to go into their villages and into their towns and, 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 and to start indigenous churches. And so that's the wise use. We're gonna, folks, we're going to see people that are in heaven because you prayed and because you, along with others, gave. And our missionaries are out there saying, listen, I'm here and able to do the things we do because there are people back in the States who are praying and giving. They let them know that. And so, from out of God's armory, we find the best weapon against over, being overcome by materialism is to focus on eternity and accept the Lord's admonishment found in Matthew 6.33 and 34. And we will all be able to give a better accounting of ourselves because we're going to stand and give an account before God. If Satan can get us to focus on this world and its temporal treasures, he can render us useless to have any real impact on eternity. Oh, you're saved, you'll get to heaven. But there won't be anybody there because of what you did or didn't do. So in the end, nothing is more important. So let us use God's blessings for his glory and to lay up treasures in heaven. And we'll see what God will have for us in eternity. That which he has for us to do in eternity is going to be based on what we did or did not do here on earth as believers, as redeemed of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. We thank you for the patience of your folk today. And Lord, it is important because, Lord, we, we live in a very, very materialistic society. And, Lord, it, it's gotten into the into the homes of believers where, Lord, they're having to work one and two jobs just to be able to maintain the material desires of their heart. Well, they don't have any time for they don't have any time for church. They don't have any time to bring their families. They don't have any time to put their children in a Christian schools. Lord, uh, because they don't have the money, don't have the finances, because it's it's all going to material things. 
Lord, there are things that are certainly more important than having the newest and the best. So, Lord, help us to focus on the things that you're focused on. And, Lord, it, it will change our lives in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Lord, whether thieves break in and steal and rob, that, that's irrelevant. Lord, they can have it. Lord, you gave it to us in the first place. But, Lord, that which they cannot steal, treasures that are laid up in heaven, durable, eternal. Lord, that's where the real joy that's where the real excitement is going to be for us as we enter into your presence. Lord, won't you guide, won't you direct today? Heads, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. At home, you can make the same choices, same decisions today. As a child of God, you have no doubt in your mind that you're going, to, you're going to go to heaven when you die or when the rapture occurs, whichever happens first. And there's a lot of things in this world that would tell us that the rapture is not that far away. Our focus should be on what are we going to do between now and when that rapture occurs or when my heart beats its last beat. Am I focusing on the things that are eternally important? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Not a soul around you say, Preacher, pray for me today. My focus hasn't been as altruistic as it could be or altruistic as it should be. And Lord, I pray that my, my, my focus be on the things that, Lord, you deem important, the things that you count important. Preacher, pray for me today as you pray for me as well. There are things in this world that we could do without. But somehow our flesh has convinced us, well, we can't live without it. It's amazing what we can live without. Let's make our focus on the things that are important to God. Preacher, pray for me today. Pray for me today. Now, it may be this morning you're saying, Preacher, I don't even know if I've got a home in heaven. The most important decision that you and I will ever make in this lifetime is our relationship with the Lord. Do I know him as my personal Lord and Savior or do I just know of him? Do I know what it takes? Do I know what I'm supposed to do in order to become a child of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I know? And if you don't know, heads are all bowed, eyes are closed, not a soul looking around. At home, same difference. Preacher, I, I have no idea where I'm going to spend eternity. I just don't know. But preacher, would you pray for me in closing as you pray for these others as well? That my eyes would be open, my ears as well, my heart receptive, that I might understand what the biblical means of salvation really is. Not what I think, but what the Bible actually says. Preacher, would you pray for me today? Would you pray for me? Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together, gathered around your throne of grace. Lord, as I seek the people's prayers for myself, for my wife, for my family, that our focus, the focus of our life, would be that of the, of, of the Apostle Paul when he said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, as the psalmist said, that you are his life. Lord, you need to be our life. And Lord, may that be the goal of each and every one who is here today. That, Lord, you would become our life. And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What's that song, Steve? 165.